0: live from our sanctum sanctorum in venice california this is the sixth sense society i'm your host krista here with our producer michael and today we have back on the show merle yost he's been on the show before he is a consultant speaker and psychotherapist with uh unusual twist to things because he also has a spiritual energy in what he teaches and so we're really excited to have him come on today uh, with this topic about developing a sense of self from his own experience in uh, both as a spiritual person as a psychotherapist. uh, And he's also studied many different kinds of modalities. So it's going to be really fascinating uh, to see what he has to say. And he's also by the way, the founder of unspoken boundaries. And we've talked a little bit about boundaries in a previous shows. And I would totally encourage you to listen to some of our previous shows with Merle because they're all really insightful and helpful. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements.
1: Hi everybody, welcome back to our episode. Um, It's going to be a lot of fun. Merle's an awesome guest and and good friends, so we're looking forward to to this topic. And I think it's an important topic, so we definitely want to get into it. Um, Next week we'll be on a little bit of a break, because my dentist has other ideas. I'd much rather be here doing the show, but... apparently that's not where I will be I will be in the dental chair so we will not be on next week and then the following week we'll be back and our guest will be Georgina Saret Armstrong-Smith and she is a priestess from Glastonbury in England so you guys will definitely want to tune in for that and next month we have uh, Sandra, Sandra Inman back and Jackie Smith and, and then looking ahead to August we have a, a new group coming on of paranormal people from British Columbia who specialize or we'll be talking about cryptoids so all things Bigfoot and so forth so lots of diversity and lots of cool topics and lots of great people so tune in uh, get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-A-X-T-H, all spelled out. And while you're there, if you can afford to buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi or subscribe to our newsletter, we definitely appreciate it. But the biggest thing is hit like and subscribe on YouTube. And even if you're listening as a podcast, you know, go back to YouTube when you get home and like and subscribe to our channel. It helps a lot. So without further ado, I'm going to kick it back to you, Krista. So take it away, Krista.
0: Great. Thank you, Michael. Welcome, Earl.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We're so happy to have you back.
2: It's great to be back.
0: And also to have you in the studio. We've only (laughs) had a couple of studio guests and we know we prefer that.
2: Oh, it's so much more fun.
0: It is. So let's get started and let's talk about what you mean by a developed sense of self and what is the the basis of that idea.
2: It's a complicated process and it's a complicated idea, I think, for most people because we just assume that everybody has a sense of self and that turns out not to be true. When we're born... We come into the world and we don't have a sense of self. We're in some ways empty. We have our genetics and we have our karma. And then everything from that point on really comes from the reflection we get back from our family and how they shape and form us. And so consequently, that can be a lovely experience or it can be a not so lovely experience, which is more common. Nobody gets through childhood unscathed. It's not really designed that way, and those wounds are what really make us who we are in the world. So let's go back to the beginning. So a baby comes in, and their job is to make you love them. They're going to smile at you, they're going to goo goo gaga. they're going to give you all of this unadulterated love in order to release the hormones in your brain and that OxyContin and you get that, oh, <laughs> feeling. <laughs> That's how the baby survives, is by getting that. So what they're doing is they're reflecting back you. So, but they don't really have a sense of self, and they're really uh, completely into survival at that moment. And their job is to make you love them so that they take care, so that you take care of them. And as you grow, uh, and from zero to eighteen months, the parent or caregivers have to be merged with the baby in order to track what's going on, because they can't tell you that I'm hungry, I need my diaper changed, I don't feel well. You have to be able to tune into that. And at 18 months, the caregiver has to start withdrawing from being merged with the child because they're starting to develop the beginnings of their sense of self. And by three years of age, the parent, the caregiver has to be completely out of there because otherwise they're intruding upon the budding development of that sense of self. And unfortunately, far too many parents want to stay there because they love that feeling of being adored and loved. And that then becomes their sense of identity, Mm. depending upon how lacking of a sense of self they have. And so the job of the parent from, from the very beginning up to the point that they really have a solid sense of self is to consistently and accurately attune to the child's state and reflect it back to them. So if the child is happy, reflect back that sense of happiness. If they're sad, you reflect back that sense of sad. If they're hurt or in pain, reflect that back so that they take the external and bring it internal. And over time, that's how you develop a sense of self, like this is me, this feeling is me. Uh, If you don't have that, then you're completely dependent upon the external telling you who you are. In the sense of a narcissistic personality disorder, What that means is there's no sense of self and their whole existence because they never developed that. They had a parent who was intruded, whatever happened along the way that they never got that reflection to to create that sense of self. And so they rely completely on the external response to them. So if you smile at them, they're happy. If you frown at them, they're unhappy. And there are different kinds of narcissists. There's toxic and deflated and all these other categories. Uh, that we I'm not going to get into because that's another topic. But so a toxic narcissist is is going to definitely be, or what I would call an inflated one, It definitely needs attention no matter what, whether it's positive or negative. But if it's negative, they're going to kill you. They're going to attack you because you've hurt them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where if positive, then they're going to like you. Uh, And so, but a deflated one is going to do anything in the world to make you adore them because they so desperately need that attention that they'll give you the shirt off their back, they'll bake you the cookies, they'll wash your dishes, they'll do whatever it needs to do to make you like them. And so that's their identity in being this blessed, sweet, generous, kind person. But they're just as empty as the toxic version. So if we don't get this mirroring back in childhood, particularly if it's attuned appropriately, because parents are often saying things that have nothing going on with what's going on inside of the child, because it's what's going on inside of the parent, and so it's that accurate attunement that makes all the difference to building a solid sense of self. And in the course of growing up, depending upon the amount of trauma and uh, uh problems that happen in your childhood, abandonment, intrusion, or constantly told that you're stupid or something, those are going to be, you're going to take those on as your sense of identity. And so that's what you're going to take out into the world because that's what got reflected back to you. If even whether it's accurate or not. And so if it's accurate, then you have a much better solid sense of self. But if it's inaccurate, then you're just looking for that validation of that negative self-belief about you. So that then becomes how you experience yourself in the world.
0: So it sounds from what you're saying that the initial sense of self involves a lot of feelings and emotions, and that being allowed to feel whatever you need to feel as a young baby and child and having that then reflected back back
2: to you, yes, accurately, Accurately. so that it resonates inside. And eventually that starts to coalesce and turn into an identity. Hmm that sense of self and we don't talk enough about this early childhood development stage and how important of smiling back to that baby that smiles at you and, the, and that goes gaga ga and you go gaga ga goo back yeah. and and so and so that when a child is actually talking to you that you actually listen and then respond directly to what they're doing because they're being seen and held and reflected and validated in that moment you don't have to agree with what they're saying but, but you need to reflect back their experience of them in an accurate way and the more they get that the more solid they are and the quicker they coalesce into a person i've met young children who have had this kind of parenting and they're extraordinary mm. they just speak the truth because they don't have a filter mm-hmm. about what's going on and uh, but most children don't get that kind of reflection and that kind of parenting
0: so obviously, it means the parents also have to be comfortable with their own sense of self.
2: <laughs> it really helps. I mean, if you don't have one, it's hard to, to reflect right. one back to the child, and so that's why this happens. It just continues generation after generation, after generation. You have a family of narcissists just creating one after another, after another, after another, because that's all they know.
0: I read uh, fairly recently in um, I don't know why this I remember this, but in the, um, drama of the gifted child Hmm. by Alice Miller, this idea I'd never heard of, where I think it was depression, specifically, that if you're not allowed to just feel your authentic feelings as a child, that it's related to later on depression, and then just allowing whatever those feelings are. Hmm. And I thought there was something I liked about that, just that idea that children have serious feelings like Oh, yeah, that that and she gave us example of these parents that were sort of belittling the child's feelings about an ice cream. And I thought, well, I agreed with her for that example that that idea that somehow children are, you know, their feelings are insignificant or uh, made fun of because the parent doesn't think it's significant.
2: Well, yes, the problem is, is that parents are too busy, putting food on the table and and cleaning up the mess and so forth. To pay that kind of attention to a child. But unfortunately, having a child means doing that. It means you have, having a child is a 30 to 40 year commitment <laughs> to somebody of giving up yourself. Uh, and that's the promise you make in bringing them to the world. And most people do it uh, casually without having any real insight or understanding what's involved in terms of really creating a real person. And they subsequently fail and then wonder why the child isn't the success and the fully realized individual that they'd envisioned.
0: Now, it's interesting, you were talking about the coalescing into a a sense of self, and I'm curious as how that then translates into a child finding his or her her own real interests, like what their, that particular sense of being is, you know, uh, enjoys doing or because you know sometimes kids really will end up doing something completely different in a good way from their parents and sometimes they really do like what the parents uh do but other times they're just doing it because the parents want them to
2: i don't know there's a single answer to that i think i I think of tiger woods who father had him on a golf course by the time he was about three or four years old (laughs) and was putting on the putting greens and stuff and uh so he That became uh, a significant part of feeling loved in his life because this unadulterated attention. And for whatever reason, he had a talent for it and it got validated and built on. I think that children often have interest in things that they're not talented in. (laughs) And so consequently, they'll probably leave them as a consequence, Uh, though there are people who are doing things their whole life that they're not particularly talented at. Because to them, there's some connection to love and that, in my experience, where the people who go out and find their own entrance without being overly influenced by the parent, trying to program them, for lack of a better way, to describe it, are more likely to have things that are genuinely resonating with them on a on a deep level, and, and both can happen. I mean, we see basketball players begetting basketball players. We see Mm -hmm. golfers begetting golfers and singers begetting singers. And so it's the family business. Now, whether karmically they came into this family for that purpose of having this set up for them or whether they got overly influenced by the family.
0: Who's to say? Who's
2: to say? That's what they have to figure out, not us.
0: So let's say most of us probably have some damages or like good point part of us have damages from not having this reflection process where would one begin to address it and what are some of the symptoms that it's a real problem like or maybe perhaps early on even so we can catch it earlier
2: how do I answer that question I think if you're consistently being hurt or wounded in a particular area in your life it's tied back to your childhood almost everything comes out of childhood. I mean, the first thing I'm going to do when somebody tells me blah, 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 and I'll go, oh, so get in touch with that feeling. How old do you feel right now? <laughs> so I'm going to want them to tap into that, the original experience of this, because if I can heal the original experience, that changes what's coming on afterwards. But until we go back and heal those original wounds, we're just stuck in that cycle of going back and back and back to that. Uh, and so the question is, I think the answer to the question is, if it's something that's repeatedly happening, if you're continually being hurt by your friends, if you're continually feeling not heard, if you feel like everything said to you is negative, this is all tied back to how you were programmed as a child in your family. And you, I often say that we're taught a dance of intimacy in our family. We're taught how to love, how to give love, how to experience people and so then we take that dance out into the world and we're unconsciously looking for that dance because that's what it means to be loved and so we recreate our families and so when we get married we're usually going to marry one of our parents <laughs> i always say marry a healthier version is <laughs> my best advice uh but uh we're, we're unconsciously recreating our family, our parents' relationship, because that's what we knew. Even when it's a bad one, that's what being loved is programmed into to mean. So the family really sets up everything. And some people seem to be able to rise above it. I think that has a lot to do with karma, uh, as opposed to just all the other stuff. But most of us are just a product of our families, and we're trying to survive in the world based upon the education they gave us for better or for worse. And the more work you do on yourself with a a good therapist, the better chance you're going to heal those wounds and have you find your own way in the world without being trapped into that old cycle.
0: So yeah, let's talk a little bit about the concept of karma. um, Astrologers believe in sort of karmic family patterns i guess hmm. uh there's also the idea of past life the people that believe in past lives believe there can be repetitive patterns of wounding depending on um so in, in another way you can approach it is going back to the earlier life where the actual pattern began True. um so uh what if do you think it's valid even if you don't believe in that like for instance i remember hearing once that somebody who did past life therapy said that even if it wasn't real, it has a real effect doing it.
2: Absolutely. Uh, First of all, I think my experience is that we tend to reincarnate over and over again, what I call our soul family. So we've been doing this dance with these people for millennia, (laughs) over and over and over and over again. And some point it reaches a Point where you've evolved enough over time that you can start to go back and heal some of this stuff, and and not be trapped in that endless cycle. But then that requires a real depth of spirituality and a real depth of of uh, being clairvoyant uh, enough, clairvoyant that you can tune to this or hire people uh, like you to help them get into that picture. But yes, I think it's really useful to look at this at this from a bigger picture. I mean, my shtick, if, if I have a shtick, is, is I don't believe in being a victim. I think that being a victim is a dead end. And if you then take responsibility for, I've incarnated in this family, read it over and over and over again, and I'm here to stop this cycle of this abuse happening, or I I chose this lifetime from a Buddhist perspective, I chose this lifetime so that I would get what I needed to get out of it, and stop playing, well, all this horrible thing happened to me. I had a horrific childhood. And I could be trapped into the awfulness of that, or I can decide that there's a way to heal that. And I think that I came back this time to heal a lot of that family family karma and really clear it up so we don't have to keep repeating the cycle over and over and over again. Uh, and part of that was my disconnecting from both of my parents and saying, I wrote them a lovely letter, said, nice knowing you, have a good life, I'm done. I won't listen to your phone calls. I won't read your letters. I'm finished. And I meant
1: it. Wendy online has a question. She says, what happens when a person has blocked their childhood due to trauma and doesn't recall it? How does one heal from unresolved trauma then?
2: <laughs> well, actually, one can heal from things that they don't know. Uh, it's not You don't have to know all the gory details. You don't have to remember it all. We deal with sexual abuse all the time uh, without clear memories. Uh, in my experience is that if you believe this happened... I can treat that uh, it doesn't matter whether it was real or not because mm-hmm. the wound is there whether it's real or not my job is to heal the wound not to validate whether it was true or not and so sometimes we have we can do uh, there's various techniques from hypnosis to just plain old psychotherapy and my experiences is as you start working with people and you start clearing trauma all of a sudden other things start showing up because then there's enough sense of self healing that they can now withstand this other stuff so it's a matter of your willingness uh to face that and some of that's just in your daily prayer to say i'm willing to face the pain that i can face right now not all of it
0: right what you're ready to face
2: (laughs) what i can handle right now please bring this forth so i can clear this and then it's one step at a time but it does really take a a commitment uh, to your own health, your own growth, your own evolution, to make that request and to mean it, uh, because it never ask for all of it. That's just insane. <laughs> it's That's a, good advice. It's a great way to drive you crazy. <laughs> it, it is totally. So
0: well, what's interesting, um, too, one of the things I have found helpful when I see myself um, a certain patterns still in my life. Is having this sense of, of just neutrality about it, and also a curiosity about it's just an experience and, and owning it as an experience without any kind of this is positive or negative, this is an experience, it's
2: a great way to approach it.
0: And it's always helped me to kind of then see any kind of opening in terms of is it something I just need to accept? No, I need I can work on it in this way, or, you know, um, I don't know where I learned that whole idea of just sort of staying neutral, or seeing it as just an experience, and it's not good or bad. And and I think that that one of the things is I've gotten older, um, I, I whatever naive reason, I thought life would be easier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but at least I have tools It's a great. That fantasy. Work. I know. <laughs> <laughs> just new things, you know, <laughs> You know, I'd like to also talk about we we talked about before the show, the idea of being born into a certain karmic world. Mm. And to be be aware of that, and how maybe then, as I have, let's say, at my sense of self, I've worked on it enough, and I've healed it enough. But then there's this outer layer that perhaps there could be woundings, but I don't have to let it wound me. So let's talk a little bit about how one would handle something like that. So uh, an example would be, you know, let's say uh, we, you know, I, I've decided to be born in in the 1930s where being a transgender would be impossible, you know, or, or something earlier. But let's say I find a way to navigate that. Um, there are examples in history. And there were
2: people who did navigate yeah, that. So, there are many so, of them from George Sands on. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to, because I think sometimes people feel that's more of a limit than it necessarily is
2: yes i think that the people who navigate those things have don't see themselves as a victim they simply take back their power and unfortunately in most families and most civilizations we're trained to give away our power to everyone else and say think that what they think of us is what who we are and that is Unfortunately, how we get trained in most families is what we think of you is more important than what you think of yourself, which is a really bad stance to give any child. Uh, because ultimately, we're the only arbitrator of our behavior, and and we have to accept the consequences of that. But something's going to say: uh, if we could go the current period, I think that uh, speaking to your your point about karmic uh, containers energy eras we're in a really interesting time right now where we're facing the extinction of the human race because of our actions and so we're all here for particular reasons are we going to rise up in some way to make to address that or are we going quietly into the night as they turn off the light last light switch and it's all gone and so all of us here are here karmically because we have a choice to make about what we're going to do about this or not And so I think this is a great example of what you're talking about, because this is not an easy time to be alive.
0: Well, and this brings up a point that I have often had a difficulty deciding the when to act outwardly and when I need to work on myself, because the the sense of like, like, um, if it takes more time, for instance, so let's say I get involved in a project in the community that just takes a lot of time, and I don't have as much time to do healing work. And I've often found that there's a dance for me between effective work in the world and doing something personally I think is right for me to do um, in order to, because I am am born in a time that has a lot of, of troubles I find. And then also just feeling OK to take time to say, you know, this year I, I really realize I have this one pattern I need to really work on because it's it's really getting in the way of me being effective and to be honest with myself and say, you know what, Krista, you're not doing a good job here. So let me just pull back and take the time. And because I've met some activists, I think, that need to do that, but they <laughs> feel I think they feel they can't
2: they can't take they can't it. take Well, that it's 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 inflated self-importance. Mm. Uh, to some degree. and That makes sense. I, and so, uh, so if it's, it's, well, I don't do this, it's not going to happen. Well, it may not happen the way that you were going to make it happen. Yeah. That's true, but, but I actually think it's a dance. I think we go back and forth. I think that what you're describing is perfect, is that sometimes we need to be more inwardly focused in order to be more effective outwardly. Right. And that we have a world that is really outwardly focused as a whole, and I think that's one of the problems, one of the reasons that we're in the difficulty that we are, that it's all external, there's not been enough value in creating a rich internal life uh, that then makes us much more real and much more impactful in the world.
0: I also think for whatever reason, there's this concept, maybe it's unconscious that if I get my act together, that people think somehow you're gonna be outwardly successful, like everyone's gonna know about it.
2: <laughs> well, you're that's where gonna the karma comes into to play. <laughs> yeah, because it's, uh, karma is a, a harsh mistress. Because <laughs> 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 you can do everything right and still not succeed.
0: See, I have a new perspective. This uh-huh. is my new perspective on, on success in ways I'd like to be successful, that if I believe in lives being repetitive, you know, past lives and future lives, maybe it's not ready yet. Maybe I can be patient, say, you know, maybe I'm building a skill that will take several lifetimes. Yeah, I got to that maybe about 10 years ago. And I I don't know why I said, you know what, that makes sense to me that maybe it's supposed to be underground still. And that's okay. It is it it, as long as I'm feel like I'm doing something meaningful for me.
2: That's all it comes down to it's about having a meaningful life in here. We all like having the external success and and the tension and so forth but it's really ultimately about what's going on in here because this is what's going to heal our soul for lack of a better description that's going to do our evolution so that that we if if it's meaningful to us that's all that really matters
0: and i think we've all met somewhere down the road a person that has a very simple life that's happy and content and has had a big imprint on us like i can think of several people that I remember one was a mother, and I met her through a good friend of mine, and she was just so so wonderful and kind, and she was uh, really supportive of me creatively. I remember I did a doodle, and she took it and framed it, and she just seemed so engaged as kind of the mother role, and she said she'd had a very difficult childhood, and she always wanted to be a mother. And I don't think she was perfect, but I do think she, she really was doing what she wanted to do. And she had, uh, interesting enough, her, her kids were super successful, and they were all athletic. But I, she made such an impression on me because she really seemed to like what she was doing. It was a choice, and it initially came from a wound because she didn't have it. And uh, like I said, I don't know that she was necessarily perfect, but I, I think she had that sense of purpose and contentment that you know remained with me through my life. I, I, re- I remember her.
2: But our only purpose in this life, it seems, is to be rich and famous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and if you're not rich and famous you're you're a failure and i think that's horrible because not everybody can be rich and famous and two is most a lot of famous people are really pretty awful <laughs> so i'm not so sure that's something to aspire to because most of them don't have a sense of self and they need that attention in order to be validated as being alive and that really makes it worse all the time mm-hmm. uh and And we're not getting better as a civilization for that very reason because it's all out there as opposed to what's in here. There's no depth. There's no benefit to suffering. There's no uh, joy in having a quiet life uh, and just doing what you came to do. And it's really sad. So can I take this in a slightly different direction? Sure. Because I want to make this point because we're... We're touching on the spiritual here without really talking to it a great deal. But uh, my training is, I'm a transpersonal psychotherapist. Transpersonal is the part of psychotherapy, it's about integrating the spiritual into the whole rest of it. And so, and, and it relates directly to the sense of self, which is want I do this, talk about this, is that we have too many people, uh, I think we were talking about this before, is that there are people who embrace the religion and people embrace spirituality. And that the people who embrace religion tend to be very rigid and very rule-based and right and wrong and good and bad. And spirituality, and so religion to me is about giving away your power to this denomination, uh, religion, whatever, whatever you're going to call it, and that then their truth becomes your truth. Where spirituality is about creating your own relationship to the divine to this universal energy and you can i think usefully use a frame of any religion but not to get lost in all the details because all those details were written by men (laughs) who were meeting their needs at that time to write that not that that's going to lead to any great depth spiritual and so but to do this from a transpersonal perspective is is that too many people bypass this step of developing a sense of self and they go right into the religion or quote unquote spirituality, and they give all of their power away. To the divine will of if God loves me, then good things are going to happen. And so there's no there's no depth in that. There's no real relationship. And so that's what we call spiritual bypass: is that they're not taking any responsibility. They're, that's all over there, and they're just a victim mm-hmm. of of this. And uh, but in transpersonal psychology. What you have to do is develop that strong sense of self, that clarity about who I am, and then you start moving into connection with the divine so that you, while in the the transpersonal sense, what you then is start disintegrating the ego, not that you lose your sense of self, but it shifts in a way so that you have you and the divine and you can hold both at the same time. Where if if you don't have a strong sense of self, then you're just over there, It's like mindfulness meditation is that you just sit there quietly and you're floating around in the clouds and it feels very blissful because you're not in this (laughs) stress, but it doesn't change anything. And so I'm much more about meditations that are are mantra-based or uh, chanting or prayer-based so that you're engaged in a specific way that you're not just losing you into this great sense of, mm-hmm. of openness because that doesn't change anything.
0: So let me ask you, have you ever come across someone that says they're an atheist and has done this kind of work and in- connects to what would be divine even if they don't call it that
2: yeah there's actually one of the big atheist authors is actually fairly buddhist <laughs> and he talks about buddhism a lot of course he he it at the same time but it's clearly clearly what's going on for him is is that he's he's getting it via the buddhism but he can't own it because that would be because he's he made his money being an atheist <laughs>
0: Well, there are branches of Buddhism that accept there are no deities. Yeah. Well, there are some that say there, whereas there are others that have the deities. And
2: Well, but from my perspective, is that I don't believe in God. I think the the, uh, the God construct is an anthropomorphization to try and make this relatable, this energy, in a way that we can construct. But we are then given the limitations of what we see as human. I think of the world as a universal consciousness, and that we're all part of that consciousness. That everything is part, this bookcase is part of that consciousness. This microphone, you and me, are all part of this universal consciousness, and and physics is said mm-hmm. is very much saying the same thing. Right. And so, consequently. Uh, if I don't lose my train of thought here in the middle of my conversation, uh, if we come at it with a sense of self, we've developed that ego, and then we move into that energy, and we start to explore that, we can use those deities, we can use those enlightened beings as conduits to that universal energy, because that's part of having a framework that really does keeps us safe, because there's all kinds of energies out here in the world, positive, negative, and so forth. And so having a known conduit somebody who's been prayed to for thousands of right. years you have a safe passageway to connecting to that universal divine energy the deity isn't the goal mm-hmm. they're simply the vehicle to get you to the goal of the divine
0: yeah it's a very similar we had a show on egregars and the idea that you've built up this thought being which is real and isn't real and you're right it's been over thousands and, and plus you can also when you tap into it you benefit from the other people's energy tapping into it, at least I have had that experience sometimes where all of a sudden, I feel like other people are chanting Tara with me and like, and it's not every day. It's like yeah. all of a sudden, I say, "Wow, I must have hit some time zone <laughs> thing where I, I zoned into it. And it, it was a really pleasant surprise, because you know, I, I haven't really had that experience, because I used to do more with groups. And so I had my own practice, but now I've only had a solitary practice really. Um, so I agree with you that that idea that it's, uh, and I agree that physics, I feel, has proven this to be real. You know, it's, it's not, it's not non-scientific anymore.
2: No, it's, it's all really kind of coming together. Of course, the more stuck people are in the religion, rather than the spirituality, then the less they're open to understanding or hearing some of this other stuff. It's it's pretty amazing to just have that access to make all of this kind of work together. And when people really embrace it and take the path, they're usually the people that make the least amount of noise because they're really solidly connected. And that's really, it's profound. I mean, I, I go into those places on a daily basis, and it's actually rather extraordinary, but it took me... A long time <laughs> to get there, and to do a lot of work on myself to to both build up the ego and the sense of self, and then to deconstruct that so that I could have that access to the divine.
0: So, is the ego in your definition also part of the personality that would like certain things? That's or or is that more of a superficial? Yeah, I'm form? using
2: ego in this time sense, and more uh, in line with the sense of self. Mm-hmm. Uh, where when people think of ego, they're thinking about what's mine, what's not mine, what I'm entitled to, uh, and certainly from a narcissistic perspective, that's all ego because it's all the reflection. It's that stuff that's a reflection of who I am, and so uh, or uh, putting yourself first. And someone who's truly spiritual does not really put themselves first. They don't deny themselves. They don't diminish themselves. But they have a humility is the word of self. And they understand both their importance and their lack of importance and are able to hold both of those at the same time.
0: Let's talk about that (laughs) word humility, because I feel it's become a bad word. And Uh, I feel that over the last I don't know, maybe five years or more that there seems to be an increasing lack of humility in many spiritual people. Uh, mm. and, and it's okay, like, there's no, no sense of like, I'm working on this, you know, I, you know, like, and, and it, it concerns me somewhat, I, I see it in witchcraft, I see it, I, I, I wouldn't say do I see it, I don't see it as much in Buddhism, maybe because I'm not looking, but I in some of the more, like the pagan world, and some of the magical world, I personally, uh, I don't think it's it's really considered important enough and
2: and that's my own perspective i agree with you because what you're describing is is the ego and the negative sense of the ego is taking over and that they're wanting the adulation they're wanting the attention and that that becomes more important than what the essence of what the message is and we've certainly seen that in a fair number of new age uh celebrities who don't walk the talk right <laughs> and so and if you aren't walking the talk then i don't give you any credibility at all
0: uh, i see it a lot in tarot and in the invention of decks that have just no basis in tarot now you can mm. invent any kind of deck you want i'm yeah. completely okay just don't with call it, it tarot. <laughs> but and if you want to innovate it show me why show me that don't just add another 20 cards which i saw somebody had 96 cards and tell me there's it's just an artistic thing, because I. It, it's also you no, know, really, it's, and, and it's because there's a lot of money in tarot, but there's also notoriety. And it's a cool factor. Um, and of course, you know, it doesn't take away from people trying to do the right thing. But it's not, nobody calls it out, in a sense, and and I'm not going to, for sure, because it's not my battle. But I, I've just been, I think, I think a lot about that word humility, and maybe because I I'd luckily met some really, really great teachers. My Buddhist teacher, Kempo Rinpoche, he's got to be one of the most humble people I've ever met, and he was a master of Mahamudra, no doubt. There's just nothing I've heard ever bad about him, and I was around him enough that, you know, he was what he was. Like, you know, you might not agree with what he
2: You're not being perfect, You're but bit, but he was, he was what he
0: said he was.
2: Exactly. And
0: isn't that part of being your a sense of self? If I can you know, show people I am what I say I am. I'm not suddenly somebody else behind the scenes.
2: Well, but that's a, to me, it is the true development and evolution. And we go back to Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. The last one is really about moving beyond the ego and, and in a sense, even beyond the sense of self. There's a Albert Schweitzer quote that says, it's my favorite one of his that he says that to be truly happy in life, you have to have a cause. If that cause can be accomplished in your lifetime it's not big enough.
0: Oh I love that
2: <laughs> And so it's, so it's about the humility of that I can't succeed this, but I'm simply part of what's going to move this forward to make a difference.
0: Oh that's brilliant that, you know and that's hopeful. Yes because there are some things that take lifetimes de- lifetimes yes. And and that's I was actually talking to someone about um, the situation with Roe versus Wade. I said, look, it's a long haul. You know, this is and if you read any any good history of any cause that succeeded, first of all, you'll see there's like ten more years that you didn't know about anyone. You'll also see all these people you never heard about because why they were too busy doing it. And it it, when the first time I read a book like that, I said, oh, it's okay that we haven't accomplished this particular aspect. It's it's normal.
2: (laughs) Well, I actually think it's good. Uh, this conflict that's happening at the moment. My personal favorite quote and the one that I, has really become the foundation of my healing work in many ways in my life is a Sheldon Kopp quote from a book called If You Meet the Buddha on the Road, Kill Him. It's a very famous Buddhist quote that most people think. It just means that find the wisdom within yourself as opposed to without yourself. But the quote is, real change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. And I think that we got very complacent and that we've allowed a lot of voices in this world to take over who had an agenda that was not in all of our best good. And it's going to take pain for us to stand up and say, no, that's not okay.
0: Yeah, I I recently was talking to someone about the idea of being able to handle the discomfort. Mm. Cause I, I don't know why that's an obvious thing, but I was in, in, in my world, I've been working on some things with my neighbors for over like three years and it's, it's quite uncomfortable and I've tried different things, but I kept thinking the discomfort would go away. And then the person was, yeah, it was a, a, um, a counselor. And I said, oh, <laughs> it's okay that I'm feeling this. I mean, I, I don't know why I thought it would get easier. Like it, it would feel I mean, maybe it's easier, maybe my techniques, or maybe I, I don't feel
2: or you just lose attachment to what the outcome is.
0: Well, that, that's a good point.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's how it gets easier. Ah. That you let go of your expectation that they're going to be different. Right. And that's when it gets easy.
0: So and it's interesting too that to me, having a sense of self and testing it out in the world can also it can show what's working for me, and also maybe where I need to do more work.
2: Absolutely, and we're all it's, lifetime is about endless work. <laughs> there's always more work to do. I've done so much work, and there's always more. Uh, and now I look forward to it because it, it makes because it makes that attachment so much easier to how I think things supposed to be or how I think they should be or what is required. And so it is what it is. And so the more that I can get at peace with that, then I can do what I can do. And I can let go what I can't do.
0: I think for me, the struggle has been maybe I'm having an expectation about myself that I can't let go of like I am supposed to have met this experience by now in a different way. Like I was thinking about what you say, and I said, the thing that that I'm thinking about is maybe I'm, I'm putting too much pressure on myself for having a certain result internally, even
2: maybe I again as a therapist, I would have you said it with that feeling say, how old do you feel? (laughs) (laughs) Because there's a child part here that wants it a certain way. Yeah. And once you encounter which child it is and what was going on then you can heal that and that's going to impact how you experience the world
0: mm. yeah it's true <laughs> it's, it's 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 a journey and i agree with you that that if we can see it as a journey however level of wounding we have and that we can also be rewounded, it seems to me like life is suffering there's to me, no doubt about that statement.
2: <laughs> but you get to decide how you're going to suffer is the, is the caveat to that. So you can be, oh, it was me. My life is so horrible. It's always going to be horrible. Or you're like, oh, that was painful. Hmm. What do I need to learn from that?
0: well it is true i have learned that holding on to the experiences also holding on to positive experiences which we do too is not really useful you know you had because then you you're you're on a high you're looking for that same experience again and and you you'll never have it It exactly out of the moment and
2: your goal job is to be here in this moment right now (laughs) and experiencing the world as it is at this moment and you can get and that's the spiritual bypass you can also get peak period peak experience bypass so Mm -hmm. i'm going to live in that day of my wedding for the rest of my life i never have to do anything ever again so (laughs) that that does happen (laughs) exactly and so that's that's bypassing life It's bypassing being you and being this experience and it's sad because there's no evolution there's no growth there you're still stuck in that moment
0: So do you have hope that more people because there's definitely more access to self help and different kinds of therapies? Do you have more hope that people can evolve more and do better? Or have you found people are not accessing what is more accessible?
2: I'm certainly not hopeful based on what I see going on in the world. I think that we've 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 created a world of narcissists. Who don't have the depth to go inside to see that this isn't just about them, that that isn't about their the response to them, that there's something bigger going on. The shallowness of that seems to permeate everything at this moment. So I wonder. I uh, there's a quote. It was I think it was in the American president said that a small group of people are the only thing that ever changes the world. Yeah. And so I think that those of us are doing something to change the world. Now what that's going to end up looking like, I don't know. But I'm hopeful that something good's going to come out of this. It just may not look anything like what we would have thought of or wanted. But Ultimately, we're responsible for our own evolution, our own return to the whole, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people are getting a lot of opportunity to really speed that process up. <laughs> and so that's one way of looking at it.
0: I remember TikNat Han when he was alive. He thought that the next Buddha would be a group, like a group energy or something, not just an individual, mm. like some. And I thought, thought a collective, like. And I, mean, I just thought it was interesting. He, you know, he seems like yeah. a traditional teacher, but. It was something I heard and or read in one of his books. I read a lot of his books uh, uh, years ago. And I thought that was a cool idea. I don't know how it would work. But you were just saying like, it is true that a small group Group can have a collective
2: impact and a group of, of enlightened people could have an amazing impact. It's just making that happen. Is a whole, <laughs> and who's enlightened and who's not is a whole nother question.
0: <laughs> well, that's a topic I would like to maybe we could do a panel on what is enlightenment? How does it look? Because it is a good topic. Oh, and yeah. I could say maybe, I don't know, I, how would I know if I'm not enlightened, if someone is enlightened, you know, so you you know, you maybe you could look through observation of their actions and their consistencies or inconsistencies and
2: how they make you feel.
0: That is a good point how they make
2: you feel It's how you feel in their presence. I mean, as a psychotherapist, we get taught, some of us get taught that we diagnose (laughs) through the, the current generation, not so much get taught to diagnose based upon how my experience of being with them in the room is. And so based upon this experience, I'm gonna have this diagnosis and this experience I'm gonna have this diagnosis, it's gonna give me a foundation for understanding how they are organized in the world. So that but that's true of an enlightened being. When you're with someone who truly is enlightened, there's just a whole different energy of being in their presence and, and the world. And so Uh, It's really the key, I think, and not confuse it with narcissism. A narcissist Mm. who can love bomb you and make you feel glorious. But that's a very temporary state that's inflating. And an enlightened being is not an inflated state.
0: That's a, an excellent point. I totally agree with that. And and maybe you'd have to be with the person more than once for sure. And I, I also watch personally I watch charismatic people carefully. Because oh, yeah. it can definitely be an indication of an artist. i artistic. get accused of
2: that all the time and I never think of myself as charismatic, but say, You're so charismatic. Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's not part of my ego structure. So.
0: <laughs> well, you're not only charismatic though. There's some people that really hype that and, oh, yeah. and I, I certainly was charmed oh, by a it. A lot
2: of ministers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Even friends i have learned to you know, one of the things I read in Robert Greene's book is he said to be careful of people that want to befriend you quickly. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, that's actually really true because anytime that happened to me, it was not a good friendship.
2: It takes two years to truly know someone. Makes sense. Two years. Yeah. And that's why these people who immediately get engaged on the third date or move in but... Oh, you're nuts.
0: <laughs> we were kind of nuts, me and Michael. Mine was necessity, though. <laughs> it happens. I mean,
2: uh, my ex and I got together uh, the first meeting. Three months later, we were living together. So yeah. it lasted 19 years. So I guess there was something there.
0: Well, yeah. And, and I agree with you theoretically, for sure. I mean, and, and it is, I've, as I've gotten older, I've definitely taken my time to even get new neighbors or friends and just get to know them. Because it's, you know, you'll find out if you're compatible that way or not.
2: And sometimes you run into a soulmate that you just know. Yeah.
0: Well that's getting back to kind of that, that karmic thing. You
2: and know? Yeah, you just I mean, I I and any I run into people all the time that I've had past lives with. It's always so interesting to for me to be aware of that and can feel the energy. And they're usually kind of clueless, often just totally clueless, but I'm like, Oh, we were married. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. So anyway, but it, it's, it's fascinating to the more work you do here, and you start getting more and more information, it just sort of really changes your whole perception of being in the world.
0: So what do you do personally, when that happens, when you feel you're more aware of the connection, do you just wait till the other person becomes more open? Or does it make a difference? Uh, it
2: depends on whether a client, I can't tell many clients I've had past <laughs> lives with. Um, it depends on how open they are i might i I would say 95 percent of the time i never say anything it's more information than they need Mm -hmm. uh they wouldn't have any particular way to hold it or to process it so why would i burden them with my perception of our relationship and who we are Mm -hmm. they just feel some kind of connection they don't understand why Mm -hmm. and that's okay and they may not even be curious as to why (laughs) i happen to be able to be able to tune into that level and it just sometimes just smacks me upside the face oh hi um and as often with with bad karmic relationships like i when i lived in puerto vallarta for a couple of years there was this one guy that every time i met him i lost my voice whoa I just literally lost my voice and so and we cleared that karma and everything was fine but but so there's these kind of things that happen. All I, kind of stuff happens to me all the time. Uh, but it is kind of, can kind of drive you crazy, too. It's like, can I just be here right now this? <laughs> Why do I have 27 other layers here I have to face all at the same time? <laughs> it's like, ugh. but But the healing is well worth it to me. This whole lifetime to me is about healing. And I feel like I'm... I'm making this tour of every time I go to another country, I have to clear the karma of when I was there in a past life. So I can just, it takes me about a week, clear the karma, and then I can just have a good time. (laughs) So, uh, but again, the more aware you get this stuff, the more responsibility you have and the more tools you need to deal with these things. And that's why I'm trying to teach some of these things in Unspoken Boundaries, because people are out here in the world without really a toolkit that's really going to be helpful to them.
0: And I think it's important to call it a toolkit. Because what I, I think I noticed as I got maybe about my 40s, I was realizing I kind of went on a period of time where I just didn't want to grow and I just sort of plateaued there for a while. Then I actually started to descent internally and right. I was like, okay, back to work. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this isn't so much fun as it looked anyway. Yeah. But
0: I realized I couldn't go back doing exactly what I used to do. And I um, well, I had changed. to... You know, i got new tools. Or even going, when I went back into Buddhism, I did it differently this time because it, it made sense to do it differently. And I think having that flexibility with oneself would be important, that it's a toolkit.
2: It is. It's a toolkit. And we're always gaining new tools for our toolkit. Mm-hmm. And this learning how to incorporate those into the old tools and what this changes and what this doesn't change. And so there's so many things going on on so many levels. And so it really, if you don't have a sense of self, you can get lost in all of this stuff. And that's what they're talking about in the transpersonal psychology is that you have to build a firm sense of self, a firm ego, and then you have to dismantle that as you start to tuning into the divine. Not that you lose yourself, but it just changes how you energetically are able to connect that. So you're both the divine and the not, since we're, we are both the same. But but you have being in this body, you have to be able to hold on to the superstructure of your ego so that you're still here.
0: That makes sense, too. And it seems like The more you are able to start to integrate the two, two, then also your spiritual side can help you take you to the new tool that you need. Always through synchronicities and
2: meditation. All something's happening, and I'll get this clarity about what I need to do about this. And as a psychotherapist, uh, often before a client comes into the room, or the the before when I'm doing meditation, I'll start getting these pictures about what we're going to be doing. Is that really I have to do that? Yes. <laughs> so, so I uh, often I know pretty much what's going to happen before it happens, but that's again because of the depth of the work that I do and the spiritual connection that I just get that information. So
0: yeah, that's wonderful. So do you do you keep track of it in a certain way? Do you have a journal? You just act on it because it's more fluid. And- yeah, it's just
2: fluid and just clear. Like uh I, I often tell the story in the workshop that I was with a client one time, and all of a sudden I'm sitting here with this guy and. The song comes screaming into my head. It's so loud, I can't even think. And I just, all of a sudden, I start singing the song in the middle of the session. And he starts crying because it was a song his mother sang to him as a child. Wow. And I had no idea of that. I don't, And that's what he needed in that moment. And I trusted that voice implicitly. And so I often get those kind of messages in my sessions. And I always trust them because that's what's needed
0: one of the things i really got from the the workshop i did with you about boundaries was that idea that by having these boundaries you actually experience the person more real than when you're more available you're more available (laughs) in a real way (laughs) in a real way as opposed
2: to take me use me victimize me
0: (laughs) so and and i i got that watching you i had a very powerful experience with the person i didn't even know the person um where she had, you know, just started breaking down completely. And I didn't feel any of it Yes, in a good way. It wasn't I was able, your job to feel no, it. No, I just no. stood there and held it. And I got it. I said, like, ah, yeah, that's much better. Yes,
2: but you were a profound witness to her experience. Exactly. You did not invalidate what was going on. No. You mirrored back the pain of that, but you weren't feeling it because it wasn't your job to feel it. There's exactly. no win in you feeling it.
0: I know there's quite a few readers, uh, tarot readers and psychics that think you need to feel it and and they think it's better, you know, so this is why I think that what you're teaching and showing people is really going to help people. And it's more accurate.
2: Well, it's healthy. uh, Because I mean, how many people therapists burn out that they've seen 12 clients this week and they're dead. Because they've just been sucked dry because they're merging with the client. And it's a lose for you and it's a lose for the client because you're just recreating their childhood when their parents merged with them and never got unmerged. Mm -hmm. So that's not useful. Uh, Our job, as I say in the workshop, is to be the profound witness of another person's experience, not experience it for them.
0: I love that, the profound witness. That's perfect. And, and, and it's powerful. You're right.
2: We want to be validated. We yeah. want to have that experience validated that it's really happening. But it doesn't mean I have to feel it for you. There's, in fact, a lot of downside to my feeling it for you. Right. Uh, and all the positive is in my reflecting back to you what I see.
0: Now, we're getting closer to the end of the show. How can people find out more about your work or reach you? What's the best way? Well,
2: the easiest way is to go to my website, merleyost.com very simple
0: <laughs> that'll be that'll have everything there yet yeah, so I, yeah. I wasn't sure which one that's worked, by which far could. the
2: easiest uh we're revamping unspoken boundaries at this very moment and it'll debut the new version will, uh the new program completely will debut in october mid-october on my birthday ah. so it's uh it's an auspicious date and it will come to fruition uh but uh, we're really excited it'll, it's called seven steps to powerful boundaries and it Really has the potential to change people's lives if they really get it and they really do the work in it because there's a lot of work to go through these seven steps.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, I I mean the little bit I've done and the little bit I've practiced because I took from it the, the particular meditation I've been doing it for several, I don't know last time two or three years at least and pretty much the morning one almost every day. Mm. Uh, but what I I found was it really worked i mean the thing is uh one of the things i found i didn't have as many intrusive unwanted thoughts that was my yes taking away from people my people talk about being more
2: organized more present right. and that they don't get as knocked off as easily mm-hmm. That this that's really the whole point of this part of an essential toolkit to get you structured in such a way and organized internally so that you aren't just being uh, tossed in the wind constantly <laughs> yeah. of life and and most people are
0: yeah. And it's even more challenging with all the different distractions. So to me, it's... And, and what I find is that I think it's good for many types of people, the work that you offer. It's not just oriented towards one group of people, well, in a sense.
2: Yeah, it's really... I've had uh, people from across the spectrum these last four years I've been doing these workshops and atheists who walk away like, oh my God, there's actually something here I can connect to. and And people who just... On outwardly didn't seem to get much but inwardly had a really big impact on them so i can't control how people respond to it i can only give out the information and do best i can to present it in a way that is accessible to as many people as possible it's
0: wonderful thank you for coming on the show tomorrow. Oh, thank
2: you so much for having me i always love being here so Oh, good and
0: thank you all for listening in join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together have a wonderful week